0: But we're currently in a series on the revelation of love, and this is truly something that we can be thankful for. So let's pray just before we get into this. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you that you are a God that manifests himself in love and calls himself love. Love is not an attribute, Lord, that you do. It is who you are. And we thank you that as we... Look at the definition of love. We see the characteristics of you, and it warms our hearts. It changes our view of you, and it changes our approach to you, and it changes the way that we live. Because as we receive your great love, it frees us, empowers us to love others, to love you. The very love that you love us with, we in turn give back to you and give back to others. So, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in the truth this morning. Lead us and guide us into the love of God. Be big in our lives and help us to walk in you because you are love. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I cut out our intro, and I'm not gonna go through, I'm not gonna go through the previous recap of the last couple messages. Because we're never going to get through these. We have 16, if I can get to where we're supposed to be. If you want to hear last week, get the CD, it's in the back, it's free. Because you guys are slowing me down too much. We got, we got 16 characteristics. We went two weeks and we only did five. So we got to speed this up a little bit if we want to make it before Christmas. And we've seen that God is is equal to love. Love is equal to God. And I know this is hard for people to understand because most of the teaching that you have received about God comes from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you can't understand how that God is the same God that you see in the New Testament. That that God that seemed was wrathful, vengeful, and wanted destruction, all of a sudden became a God that was willing to die on a cross for humanity. And the reason why is because the Old Testament, especially in the Mosaic part of the Bible, the law, the time of the law, was not the characteristic of God. It was a characteristic of the law. That's a huge difference. Look at how God related to mankind before the law. They murdered Murdered their brother, Cain and Abel. He was patient and kind and, and gentle and, and trying to get them to li- live and, and follow his ways all the way up to where there was only eight people left in the world. And to save the eight and to make a way for the Messiah that would redeem all mankind, he had to destroy the world. It says that he grieved that he ever made man. Why did he grieve that he ever made man? Because it broke his heart, what men were doing to one another. See, the the law is the characteristics of the law. The law, it's nowhere in the Bible that says that the law is love. The law is not love. The law has no emotion. It was written on stone because that's what it was. It was dead and cold. It wasn't living. The law was unbending. It was unmerciful. Look at how God put up with the Israelites all through the wilderness, all their complaining, all the miracles and provision that He did, and they complained and murmured and wanted to go back to Egypt just like we do. Jesus radically saves our life. And then something doesn't go the way that you think it should go in your life. And you say, I want to go back to Egypt. I want to go back to my old lifestyle. Instead of boldly approaching the throne of grace. Boldly approaching. Every time they call out for God to do something in the wilderness, he did it. But then the law came in. And what happened with the law? The law came in and someone was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And the law demanded that that person die. Not God, the law. The law demanded punishment. The, the law demanded wrath. Right? So if you want to live by the law, be my guest. But it's going to lead to Death. Chad, are you saying that the law is evil? No, the law is not evil. It's very, very good. It's holy. It's righteous. But it does not give us the power to be holy and righteous. All it does, the, the, the whole reason the law was given was to point out our sinfulness. And when, when we, were without hope, without strength, dead in our sins and trespasses, Jesus Christ came to demonstrate the true characteristic of God. Not the characteristic of the law, but the characteristic of God. And that is to redeem, to save. Jesus came to save, not to condemn. I don't know why church people have such a hard time with that. Jesus came to save you and to redeem you, not to condemn you to hell. But people still choose to go to hell. I don't know why they choose to go to hell when we have a great and wonderful God. Maybe it's because we as the church has failed to tr- truly demonstrate the love of God, demonstrate the characteristics of God. So God is love. He calls himself love. In 1 John 4 eight. he declares, God is love. If it's not love, it's not God. That's amazing. It should, that, right there, that phrase, just thinking that, if it's not a manifestation of love, then it is not God. Because for God to cease to be love, he would have to cease to be God. And God's not going to change. He never changes, the Bible says. That right there should get your mind thinking and should be renewing your mind to the characteristics of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we deem the love chapter, is the most detailed description of love. Who is who? God. So this is the most detailed description of God. And we, so often as we do, is we read the Bible to see what the Bible is saying we must do, instead of seeing what God has done, and who Jesus is, and who God is. So we got to look at these, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with looking at the the word of God and seeing where you might be falling, falling short, not walking in the spirit. Because I'm telling you, if you learn to walk in the spirit, learn to walk in the new man, who you are in Christ Jesus, you'll find yourself keeping the law a lot better than you ever did when you were just trying to... Bear under the law. It just happens naturally. It actually says that this new covenant, that he would write his law on our hearts. And what does that mean? Our heart has been changed and we have new want-tos. We want to live like Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 13 describes this God who calls himself love. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8 In the King Jimmy version of the Bible, it says charity suffereth long. And that word charity, again, is the word agape, and it means the God kind of love, the kind of love that has no strings attached, the kind of love that gives without expecting anything in return. And that just right there is so difficult for our minds to grasp because all love that we've ever experienced here on earth is always, there's something behind this. There's a reason why they're doing this. And, and we do that. And, and the problem is, is when we actually see true agape love, we, we try to figure out what's the hidden agenda. Why did they really do this? But charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. It is not easily provoked thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And we looked at the first five characteristics of God. And it said that love, God, he is patient. God is patient. And I'm going to really try not to, Talk about these love, love. God is kind, and and that right there, I don't know about you, but that radically hit me. That that hit me. That was a characteristic that I never really attributed to God. That He's kind. If someone has come up to you and say, "What's God like?" Would you say, "You know what? God, he, He's my my heavenly Father. He's just so kind to me." He crowns me, as David says, he crowns me with loving kindness. I need to get to know this God a little bit more. I, know, I want to know him as the God that crowns you with his loving kindness. Number three, love, God, does not envy. God's not jealous. Pick up the CD, I can't talk about this. Number four, <laughs> love, God is not boastful. God is a humble God. And five goes with number four, love God. He's not arrogant. He's not arrogant. And it's interesting that most of us think the complete opposite. We think that God, he's very impatient. We think of God that he's not very kind. If it wasn't for Jesus, he would have wiped you off the face of the earth. But we fail to understand that we're Trinitarians here. We believe in the Trinity. And the Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. There isn't a separation of good cop, bad cop. The Father is Christ, and Christ is the Father. Love. We think that God does envy, He's jealous. You know, I know that there's still some deer hunters that aren't here today. And we think that, oh, God's mad, at, probably mad at me because I'm out hunting. That's not the truth. God's with you while you hunt. God is everywhere. God's sitting on the bar stool right now with people. God is everywhere. He's not envious. He's not jealous. He's not envious over your hobbies and your relationships, but he would like to participate with you in those hobbies, in those relationships. God's, we, you know, we think that God's very boastful, you know, but he's not. He's humble, and I can't go through all this. We think that God is an arrogant God. So starting off on number six, charity does not behave itself unseemly. And to get some clarification on that, it basically means love. God does not act rudely. God is not rude. God will never be rude and will never embarrass you. Look at how the Amplified says this. See, a lot of people are afraid to come to God or get around people that are manifest the godliness of God is because they think that somehow they'll be uncovered. They feel shame. They feel that somehow they're going to say something that's going to be rude and, and embarrass me. And there's lots of Christians that act that way, especially when there's known sin we point out we point out all their sin we point all all their failures instead of pointing out Christ to them that Christ redeemed them that he paid for them on the cross that he has a wonderful life for them we're very rude we're not like God at all but God's not that way he's not about pointing out your failures to you and see what the problem is is that you think well why do I get so convicted when I'm in church it's your own conscience You see how God is, and your conscience is saying, well, you're not that way. That's accuser of the brethren. And you can choose, listen, you can choose to see yourself in your actions, or you can see yourself in Christ. You can see how the world says you are, how your mom, how your dad, how your boss, how your wife, how your husband, how your kids say that you are. Or you can say yourself as how God says you are in Christ Jesus. And when you line yourself your thinking up, when you see yourself in Christ, you're gonna your actions will follow suit. See, sinners sin because they see themselves as sinners. You should never get mad at sinners for sinning. But we need to show them that you're not no you don't have to be a sinner. You've been redeemed and you are a child of God. What happens if we see ourselves as children of God? How would that radically change people? But God's not ru- rude. 1 Corinthians 13:5 in the amplified version says, "It is not conceited, arrogant and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. God doesn't treat you rudely. And it boggles my mind how rude the ministers of God are. Especially, well, denominationally and Pentecostal, charismatic, they elevate their leaders to a a level that they can get away with anything. They can treat people like garbage and get away with it. And people put up with it. I, I don't understand that. If God's not rude, why would we expect his ministers to be rude? You know, I, I've seen people that go up for prophecy. You know, someone has, there is, there is a ministry of a, of a prophet in, in the New Testament church. It's part of the fivefold ministry. And the prophet will just read their mail. They'll, they'll point out everything that they've done wrong. And tell them they better get um, lined up. They better straighten up. Just read their mail. Now, do I believe that the Spirit of God revealed to the prophet what that individual is going through? Yes, I do believe that. But what, I, what the prophet failed to do was walk in the love of God. He failed to deliver that message in a way that is in love. Right? And this is something I'm trying to do as a father to my children. And I find myself falling short. Instead of pointing out all the negative things they're doing, point out, but, this is who you are. Instead of pointing out the actions they're doing wrong, point out, but in Christ Jesus, this is, you're, you're a child of God. He's got an awesome plan for your life. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the fruit of the Spirit in you. You have the love of God. You can boldly come to God. You don't have to hide from God anymore. It's a huge difference. There's a huge difference in the way that the message is delivered. But we think it's good when we walk out of there and say, Oh man, the pastor really pounded me today. And he stepped on my toes. No. It says that prophecy is supposed to be for Edification. What's the word edification mean? It means to build up, to encourage. If you don't leave this church, build up and encourage, I failed to do my job. Love is not rude. Unfortunately, his ministers are. And unfortunately, the people of God are. See, that's the other side of it. If you have a minister or a leader that's not willing to be rude, be a bull in a china shop, then... The people think that they can be rude to him. They think that they can say stuff to him. No one does that here. But the, I've been in, I've been in those places. I've been to churches, different churches. But you're just not manifesting the love of God because you're not rude because you are in love. Who is God? Love is not rude. Amen. The internet is filled with people that are rude. Christianity, is, it seems like it's one of the only religions that we eat our own. We, 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 we just destroy one another, especially if they have a huge ministry, a very public ministry, especially if they're successful in their ministry. Those are the ones we love to find fault with, find failures with. You know, I shared something on Facebook last night about Joel Osteen that a, that a friend of mine sent me. That was very well written. But there you can you can go on the internet, you can find things about Andrew Walmack, Joseph Prince, Billy Graham. You can find people that don't like Billy Graham. Can you imagine that? We've had I we yeah. We we've even had people say that stuff about us. I just look at it as, you know, hey, Rejoice when people despise you, right? Hey, and here's the thing if it is, just, just, if you get some, this is the way that I do things. I try to always look at the good, and if you have an issue with me or anything, you need to come and tell me, because even if I sense there's something wrong with you, I'm not going to come up and talk to you about it, because I'm going to see good in you, Right? And if you put stuff on Facebook or whatever, the chances are is I'll probably unfriend you. Why? Because I don't like you as a person? No. It's because I like you as a person. I don't want to see the negative things that would cause an offense in me, so the next time I see you on the street, I want to punch you in the face. Do you understand that? If someone's talking negative, I don't want to hear about it. Why? Because I want to be able to walk in love I want to walk in love, and I don't, and what's interesting is, is if, if you distance yourself from those comments, then other people will come. Did you see what so-and-so put on the, on the Facebook? Someone will tell you, and I said, I don't want to hear about it, but you need to just walk in love, and, and it's not that, I distance myself from people that are in, that have an offense, well, if you have an offense, you should come and talk to me about it. I don't have an offense with anybody, so I don't need to go talk to you. If you have an offense, you come talk to me. But I'm going to distance myself from the verbiage so that I don't have to treat you rudely, get mad, get in the flesh. I want to walk in love. So there you go. If you ever have a problem with me, you've got to come and talk to me. I'm not going to guess. I'm not going to read your lo- love letters. <laughs> But the internet is filled, filled with stuff like that, trying to find faults and failures and, and, and just drag down the body of Christ. So what I'm saying is, 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 be careful, because it's so easy to get offended. It's so easy to, have an, to get an offense, it's, and it's a snare of the devil. And we don't treat people rudely. I I don't care if you totally disagree with their theology or their doctrine. We treat them with the same love that God treats us with. And we try to shine the love of God in their lives. Right? Because I'm sure there's things that I believe that you don't believe. I'm sure there's things you believe that I don't believe. But you know what? We all believe in Jesus Christ, that he's the Messiah the only means of salvation for mankind. And we can agree upon that. Right? Amen. So God's not rude. So we don't need to be rude either because we can walk in the love of God. Ephesians 4, 29 and 32 says, Let no corrupt word proceed of your mouth. Wow. Hmm. But what is good Hmm. for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. See, we have an opportunity in all circumstances to either see that person in the flesh, in the way the world thinks, the way the world responds, or in the way that Christ responds. Despite how they act. Exactly. It says you don't have to be rude. You don't have to have corrupt. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Impart grace. Is that acting like Jesus or what? Impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why Why would that grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Because that's not who he is, and that's who's living in you. That's who's living in you. You have the nature of God in you. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be. You you choose to be bitter. You choose to use wrath and anger. You choose to have malice and evil speaking. You don't have to choose those things. You can choose to be kind. You can choose to be tenderhearted. You can choose to forgive. And why? Because God has forgiven you. That's awesome. Number seven. See, we're moving a little quicker today. Charity seeketh not her own. Charity seeketh not her own. Love, God, is not self-seeking. God is not self-centered. Think about this. God is all about you. He's not a selfish God. He's not self-seeking. He's not self-centered. And God, the God kind of love is the antidote to selfishness and pride. See, this is humanity in a nutshell. Humanity is very self-seeking. Humanity is all about me. What's in it for me? What's the best for me? What am I getting out of this? But, not, but being God's kind of love is the antidote to that. Why? Because we trust in God. We have our faith in God. God's our provider. We're not our provider. The world's not our provider. We cannot conquer self by focusing on self. You can't conquer being self-centered by focusing on yourself. You need something greater to focus on, and that is God. Focusing on his characteristics, who he is, and who he is to you. Someone that is self-centered, always thinking about themselves, is a person that is not dependent on God. And God is not thinking about himself. He's not thinking about what's in it for him. What's the best thing for him? When Jesus went to the cross, it was for our benefit, not his. The only way to win over self is to fall in love with God more than with ourselves. It is in discovering God's love that we lose self-love. The message puts it this way. Love isn't always me first. The God's Word translation puts it this way. It doesn't think about itself. Amplified version of the Bible says, love, God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. Your spouse might be... But God isn't. Your husband, your wife, they might be very self-centered, and, but, God, but God isn't that way. God does not demand we do things a certain way. He allows us to have our own personality and style. There are so many churches that think you have to do church a certain way or it's not pleasing to God. No, we all have our own personalities. Could I wear a suit and tie up here? Yes, I could. Would that be pleasing to God? Yes, it is. Why? Because he doesn't demand that I dress a certain way. Amen. Is how I'm dressed today pleasing to God? It might not be pleasing to you, but yeah, he, he could care less. But you know the truth? There's many times I have went to the closet and God has told me to wear something. And every time I've done that, someone has mentioned it. I don't know why. Why? I don't know. But God wants to get involved even in your wardrobe. The way that we do church here, the lights and stuff, this is just, this is my personality. (laughs) And there's churches for all different personalities. And the whole idea of it is how can I demonstrate my love and worship and adoration for God? God isn't demanding. God isn't, isn't me first. God isn't this. You do it this way or it's the highway. Think about this. God is always right. Does God have his own way of doing things? Yeah. Do you know he's always right? His way of doing things is always right. When I do things in my way, it's never right. Thank God he can make our wrongs right. But when I do things my way, I know you guys never do that, but when I do things my, my way, it's wrong. And God always has a right way of doing things. But do you know when I do things my way and it's wrong, it doesn't affect my relationship with God? He doesn't say, I, I, I can't talk to you anymore. You, you did this this way and it, it just, that's it. I don't even want to be around you anymore. That's how people are, right? You didn't take out the garbage the way that I want you to take out the garbage. Or You didn't clean the house the way that I want you to clean the house. Or you don't talk to me the way that I think you should talk to me. So I don't want nothing to do with you anymore. But that's not what God says. You know, you, you wear black sacks with sandals and shorts. I can't be your friend no more. <laughs> Hey, God's cool with it. (laughs) But God isn't is always right. We're never right, but it doesn't wreck our relationship with God. God will always direct you, but He will never insist on everything being His way. Nor will He focus you into or force you into His will. He will gently guide and direct you if you are willing. He's a gentleman. He will guide you. He will direct you. That still small voice will come and talk to you, but he doesn't force you to do anything. Amen. Look what it says here in Deuteronomy thirty nineteen: I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life and that both you and your descendants may live. See, we don't understand this about God, is that He gives us free choice. He gives us free choice. He gave the Israelites free choice. He says, There's a way of life, and there's a way of blessing, and there's a way of death. You choose. But listen, I'm going to give you the answer to the test choose life. He doesn't force you to choose life. He doesn't force you to choose his ways. But he says, come on. Choose my ways. Choose life. Choose blessing. God is not demanding. God is always right, and I'm always wrong, but God still loves me. When I fail to follow his direction, he's always there to put the pieces back together when they're broken. God does not cause the issues But he's there to bring you back into life and blessing. When you choose a way other than God's way, he doesn't cause the calamity that follows. He doesn't cause the death. But he's there to put the pieces back together again. He's he's there to bring you back into life and blessing. You know, so many people think that God causes all the heartaches in their life. And that's just not true. That's about as foolish as thinking that do you know who caused all the traffic accidents in the world? Cops and paramedics. Cops and paramedics cause all the traffic accidents in the world. Because every time there's a traffic accident, they're there. They show up. So I think there's a conspiracy. I think they're the ones that cause all the traffic accidents. It's the same thing with God. when heartache, when pain, when suffering, when brokenness is there, all of a sudden somehow God shows up, whether in a still small voice, whether whether it's some crazy Christian that shows up and wants to pray for you or talk to you out of nowhere, wants you to come to church with them, and instead of seeing that there are, he's, they're there, He's there. To bring us to life, we think, God must have done this to me. God did this to me. Why would I want anything to do with him? That's not the truth. He's trying to bring you into life. He's trying to bring you into blessing. Number eight, charity is not easily provoked. Hmm, This is a big one. Love, who is God, is not provoked. Not provoked. What's that mean? You can't push God's buttons. This is something I'm trying to learn in my own life too. Not let people push your buttons. I, I, I come to find out that I don't have any buttons. I just have love. I just have the spirit of God. The Amplified Version puts it this way. It is not touchy, fretful, or resentful. You know how many people think that God's that way? Most people think God is very touchy, that he's very easily provoked. But love isn't. And love is God. He's not that way at all. Moses was raised up to reveal sin... Jesus came to reveal God. And this is what I was speaking about at the beginning of this message. I wasn't planning on saying it at the beginning, but it looks like God wants me to emphasize this. Think about this. Moses was revealed, was raised up to reveal sin. Jesus came to reveal God. So many people see God in the law. And as we discussed earlier in the message, God is not, that. nowhere in the Bible does it say that that's the characteristics of God. Jesus was the characteristics of God. The law was given to reveal the character and nature, was not given to reveal the character and nature of God, but the character and nature of us. Let me say that again. The law was not given to reveal the character and nature of God. It was given to reveal the character and nature of us. Jesus is the character and nature of God. Love is the nature and character of God. And you know what the good news of that all is? Is that if you're in him and he's in you, Your characteristics are no longer defined by the law, but they're defined by Christ. Amen. That's good. You guys are on today. Matthew 26, 48 and 52 says, Now his betrayer, this is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, had given them a sign saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, look at that. Is that, is that a manifestation of what we just talked about? Could he have said betrayer? He could have. Enemy, he, what's he call him? Friend. He chose that. Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I have come, or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus had options. And we just read over that and think nothing of that. But let's take a little journey. In 2 Kings chapter 19 verse 35, it says that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. One legion had up to 6,000 men in it. Twelve legions would be 72,000. And if one angel killed 185,000 men, then 72,000 would have destroyed 13 billion or in essence wiped out mankind from the face of the earth. See, he had an option. He had an option not to go to the cross. He had an option to wipe out mankind and go be forever with the Father. But he chose love. Love. He chose love. You can't push God's buttons. Look at this. Mark 15, 16, and 20. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Petronium, maybe. And they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat in his face and bowing the knee, they worshipped him, and when they had mocked him, they took up the, pur- the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to be crucified. Before this, he was before the, uh, the priests, and they beat him. Before that, then he was led to Pontius Pilate, and they scourged him and whipped him and beat him. And he opened not his mouth. Why did Jesus not open his mouth? Because if he did, he would have saved himself. And most of the time we open our mouths is to save ourselves. Save our pride. Give him peace of our mind. But Jesus chose love. He chose I'm not even going to open my mouth because if I do, there might be a I might call the legions of angels. That's me just my own thinking. But Jesus didn't open his mouth. They tried. They pushed his buttons. They tried to push him as far as they could go. But God isn't manipulated. In the wilderness, you see the children of Israel provoking God to wrath over and over and over and over again. And what did he do? He provided. He provided water. He provided food, manna. He provided um, quail. He provided warmth at night, with the fire at night, and shade in the day. The Bible says that their clothes didn't wear out. They grew, but in their clothes grew. It's amazing. God provided all things, and all they did is murmur and complain. They tried to provoke him to wrath, but they couldn't get him to, because he's long-suffering. The the ninth characteristic of charity, of love, is it thinketh no evil. Charity does not think evil. Love, God, does not have evil thoughts. Wow. All those evil thoughts that you think God thinks about you is... Idolatry. It's a God made up of your own making. God is incapable of having evil thoughts towards you. (laughs) I hope you're being quiet as you're thinking, because that's amazing. The Amplified Version puts it this way. He says, It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. God does not keep an account of wrongs done to him. Hebrews 10, 16 and 17, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, say the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. And if God has chosen to forget all your lawless deeds and your sins, why do you keep bringing them up? Why do you continue allowing them to separate you from God? Why do you allow allow your sins to keep you from the blessings of God? See, you see yourself in your sin. God doesn't see yourself in your sin. He sees you in Christ Jesus. If God ever thought an evil thought towards you, if he ever seen you not in Christ... There's no hope for you. Do you understand that? God has no evil thoughts for you. We need to be more like God and less like humanity. People keep accounts. Our wives keep accounts, don't we? Our husbands, they keep accounts. Some are holding on to offenses that were done to them 20 years ago. Some people are holding on to offenses That happened to them by somebody that's no longer alive on earth. And you're allowing what someone else did to you control your life. You don't have to allow them to control your life. But you don't understand what they did to me. And how that makes me feel. No, you chose to feel that way. You chose to feel that way. People will get offended over nothing. They will get mad and leave the church over the smallest things. They can't see what. They can't see all the good things that are happening around them. All they can see is the offense done to them. That's the way it is in marriage. All you can see is the offenses done to you, and you no longer can see the good things that's happening to you. Look at this Matthew 18, 21, and 22. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Anybody ever th- think of that? How many times do I got to forgive this person? Up to seven times? And this is literally talking about seven times in a day. Jesus said to him, do not say, I, I, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. What's that, 490? Someone can do the same offense to you 490 times in one day, and God says you should forgive them. Wow. That that takes the supernatural love of God to be able to do that, right? But here's the thing. We've all heard this before, haven't we? And the, all the messages have been about what? How you should act, right? Do you think God's asking you to do something that he in turn doesn't do to you? This is a characteristic of God. He doesn't keep an account of a a wrong suffered to him. He doesn't think evil towards you. You can break his heart and he still sees the good in you as we're going to see in just a little bit. He's still going to forgive you. He's long-suffering. You now see how all these characteristics of love work together. God doesn't demand something from you that in turn he's not doing himself. This is God. Husbands keep an account of evil done to them. Wives keep an account of evil done to them. Until all they can see is evil. They can't see nothing good. But it's interesting when... Two people are about to get married, and you talk to them and say, What are some of the negative aspects of, what's some negative things about your fiance? Oh, there's nothing wrong with them. <laughs> they are wonderful, they're perfect. See, why? It's because they were so focused on the good in them that they didn't see anything evil but then they get married and things happen and they see things that they don't really appreciate, things that they don't really like and they start focusing on the negative until all they can see is evil. There's nothing good in them. There's nothing good in them. And then you sit in in marriage counseling and the counselor asks you, Asks you, do you, let's make a list of everything good you see in your spouse. And they get mad. There's nothing, I can't make a list. There's nothing good. There's absolutely nothing good. There's nothing positive about them. There's nothing lovely. There's nothing beautiful. And they look at you, the counselor looks at you and says, well then, you two must be the most stupidest people in the world. And then all of a sudden they're mad at you. He goes, Don't let me explain. You you guys must be really, really dumb to marry somebody that has absolutely no loveliness in them, no goodness. See, there was a time we've seen loveliness, there was a time that we've seen goodness. And you may be thinking, Well, they've changed. So that you've been married to them for 20 years and they changed for the worse. That's not good. You had a negative influence on them. See, you can choose to love. You can choose to see good in everything. And this is what God does. God chooses to see good in you. He doesn't hold a record of offenses done to them. That's amazing that God's that way. And we might not always be that way, but God is always that way. That is amazing. Amazing. Jeremiah 29, 11, This is what God says. God says, for I know my th- the thoughts that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's thoughts to you are not evil. He thinketh not evil. God's thoughts for you is to give you peace. Shalom, that means nothing broken, nothing missing, to give you a future and hope and an expectance of glory, of, of, of blessing, of him being your God. That's his thoughts towards you. He doesn't think evil towards you, even though you've been screwing up, He has a different way of looking at you. He has a different way of thinking about you. And we just got to get our brain wrapped around the way he sees us. If we think that God is only thinking evil towards us, is the reason why we don't want to come around him. If the world thinks that God, all he does is thinks evil towards them, why would they want anything to do with him? Right? Right? If, if your father or your mother, as a child, you think that they don't like you and they always think evil of you, you're going to avoid them, aren't you? Friends at school, colleagues at work, if you, if you, if you think that they don't like you, that they're, you're just going to want to avoid them. But God's not that way. God doesn't think evil towards you. But when we realize that he only thinks good of us, then that opens the door for fellowship. That opens the door for fellowship because even in our mistakes, he's there to thinking good of, of wanting to take us to the next level, wanting us to take us to a deeper relationship with him, a deeper understanding of who he is in you, letting him be Lord of your life, letting him manifest his promises in your life, letting him manifest his goodness. His glory in your life. Amen. Isn't this so refreshing? Isn't it refreshing to see the characteristics of God? Isn't it refreshing to know how He sees us and what His thoughts are towards us and how He relates to us? Amen. 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 So we are full, aren't we, today? We are full. And we have lots to be thankful for. We, we, We can be thankful for what is God has done in our life up to this point, and we can thank, be thankful for what he's going to be doing in our life. Amen. Amen. Well, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Know that you're deeply loved by God, and, and we at Care's New Testament Church try to love you the best way we can do. We're not, we're, not, we're not perfect, but we're not where we used to be. None of us are, are we? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love. We, we thank you for the manifestation of your love, Jesus Christ. We thank you that your thoughts for us are for our future and a hope that it's for shalom, peace, nothing broken, nothing missing. That's the way that you think about us. Father, we thank you that as we enter into this communion, this relationship, this fellowship, when we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, when we manifest the love of God, because we're walking in the love of God, your love shining in us and out of us and all around us, that we can't help to be, to be Jesus in this earth, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, reaching out, touching, loving, caring for those, They have been told a different story about you, of a God that's wrathful, vengeful, wants to destroy them. We can show them the truth, and the truth will set them free. We love you, we praise you, and we worship you today. In Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.